We are in our sermon series, Forgive, and today we're going to talk about the history of forgiveness. Uh, You may be surprised to find out that there was a time in uh, the world, um, especially our part of the world, Western civilization, where forgiveness wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that important. Maybe you feel like that's the way society is becoming Today, so we're going to talk about where do our ideas about forgiveness come from? Really, where do our ideas about anything come from? But just on the question of forgiveness, why do we think the way we do about forgiveness in Western civilization? Well, the answer may surprise you. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who taught the world what forgiveness is. But what about all those other ideas that we value in our culture, in the United States? I mean, we're just a few days away from celebrating our Independence Day. So where do all the things that we value come from? Liberty, uh, equality, justice, um, uh, service to to our fellow person, the Protestant ethic. Where do these all come from? Well, um, Christianity is one of two pillars that hold up what we call Western civilization. There's actually two, two of them. One of them is the Bible, but right alongside that is the pillar of uh, Greco-Roman philosophy. Think of Aristotle and, and Socrates and Plato and the writings of Homer, the Odyssey and the Iliad. All of that uh, plays into our worldview if you grew up in the United States, or if your family comes from Europe, uh, because we've all grown up uh, without even really thinking about it, the, the, the messages around us come off of those two pillars of what is of most importance. And so today we're going to talk about forgiveness, where it came from, and also talk about why you think the way that you do. You may be surprised. So let's talk about the absence of forgiveness. There was a time prior to Jesus, like I said, Jesus is the one who taught us all what forgiveness actually is, where forgiveness wasn't there. So there's two words I want you to become aware of. The first one is the word cardinal. I did not know what this meant. I had to look it up. I thought cardinal was a bird or a baseball team, but it actually means that which is of the greatest importance, that which is fundamental. Now, right along cardinal, I want you to learn and understand this word, virtue. Virtue is thinking and doing what is right and avoiding what is wrong. In other words, those values that are important to you are what you would consider virtuous. Another way to say virtue is to live this life as well as you can is to live it as humanly as you can. In other words, what are the things that define what it means to be human? Another way to think of a virtue is, virtue is those things that you do well. So scissors. The virtue of a scissor is cutting well. If you tried to use a scissor like a hammer, it would not be virtuous because you are not allowing that scissor to live up to its full potential of being a scissor. Are you following me? Virtues are those things that allow you to live life well, uh, to, to live the fullest 
uh, of potential that a human being has. Another way that we say this is to live a life that you're happy about, that gives your life purpose, meaning, value. Those are virtues. In ancient Greece, to live a life well is to live the cardinal virtues. There were four of them that Plato names um, and have have come down to us in history. Maybe you'll recognize these. I brought a video. Please turn up the volume on uh, the computer for this. I brought a video, a little clip, to share with you the first cardinal virtue. Oh, I'm a failure because I haven't got a brain. Well, what would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, confirming with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I'd unravel every riddle for any individual in trouble or in pain. With the thoughts you'd be thinking you could be another Lincoln if you only had a brain. So, maybe you figured this out. What does it mean to have a brain? The first cardinal virtue is wisdom. Wisdom is understood as the ability to reason, to be able to plan out, to be able to to um, concoct a plan that you then carry to success, to think, in, think ahead, think before things uh, happen to you, to be proactive rather than reactive, common sense. All of these things is the virtue, the cardinal virtue of wisdom. You want to be wise, you don't want to be a fool. You don't want to be taken advantage of because you didn't think things through. The second cardinal virtue that the Greeks lifted up was the value, uh, the virtue of justice. Justice means that you get what you get, you don't have a fit. Uh, if you've ever said that to a child or to a friend, uh, we would say that to our kids when they were little and, and they started to throw a, a tantrum because they didn't get what, what they wanted for supper. You know, they wanted mac and cheese and they got Brussels sprouts. You get what you get and you don't have a fit is a proper understanding of justice. You get what you deserve. And you do not get what you do not deserve. That is injustice. Injustice is getting what you do not deserve. Justice is getting what you do deserve. As a society, we seek to have justice across the board, that justice is blind, and if you commit a crime, you get the just consequence of of doing that crime. If you plan and work hard and, and keep your, um, uh, give your best effort in something, then you will receive a reward. You will have success. This is the Greek concept of justice that has been passed down to us. We value wisdom, don't we? We value justice. How about moderation? Another way to say moderation is self-restraint. For the Greeks, moderation means the ability to restrain your uh, your wants and your needs. Delayed gratification. uh, To put in the effort and to get a bigger return later on. And really to protect yourself. I mean, um, sometimes you got to push away from the buffet table. One ham sandwich is okay, but too many will probably give you a tummy ache. 
Moderation is important, and this is a, a value that's been passed down to us today. How many times do doctors say, if you've been on a diet and you start gaining the way back, everything needs to be in moderation. Have a little bit of sweets, not a lot. In fact, that's a big part of our medical um, uh, system in the United States is, is engaging with, with food and, and other things in moderation. Exercise in moderation. Too much of anything can be bad for you. This comes from Greek thought. The fourth one also comes from a video that I shared that I'm going to share with you. Let me know if you recognize what the fourth cardinal virtue is. Your Majesty, if you were king, you wouldn't be afraid of anything? Not nobody! Not know-how! Not even a rhinoceros? Imposterous! How about a hippopotamus? Why, I'd trash it from top to bottom us. Supposing you met an elephant? I'd wrap him up in cellophane. What if it were a brontosaurus? I'd show him who was king of the forest. How? How? Courage. What makes a king out of a slave? Courage. What makes the flag on the mast away? What makes the elephant charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusky dusk? What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the sphinx the seventh wonder? Courage. What makes the dawn come up like thunder? Courage. What makes the hottentot so hot? What puts the ape in apricot? What have they got that I ain't got? Courage. You could say that again. So what is the fourth cardinal uh, virtue? Courage. Courage is the ability to do the right thing, especially when it's scary. Courage is not the absence of fear. Superman doesn't have any courage because Superman is indestructible. Batman has a lot of courage because Batman enters into scary situations to do the right thing. Courage was valued by the Greeks because it was necessary for a warrior to gain victory by entering into combat and still moving toward the goal uh, to better themselves. These four values were all lifted up as what gives you uh, a place of, of respect and honor within their society. Remember, the ancient societies before Christianity were shame-honor societies. In fact, every society without Christian values included in it is a shame-honor society. That means that what the community thinks of you and what values the community lifts up that you are a, um, um, excellent at, at living out will give you more honor. And along with an honor, a shame-honor society is the understanding that if someone attacks your honor, attacks your wisdom, your, your ability to do justice, how moderate you are, or your courage, well, you have the right to receive recompense, to, to either shame them for saying such horrible things or doing such horrible things, or to seek restitution through revenge. The Greeks and the Romans were not interested in forgiveness as a value. And it, it's pretty simple to understand why. First of all, if you're a virtuous person, you don't need forgiveness. You're, you're hitting a home run in every category that matters. So what needs to be forgiven? If you're not meeting the standards of a virtuous person, person in Greek or Roman society... Well, forgiveness doesn't help you. 
Because forgiveness uh, lets you off the hook. What you really need is contempt. And so a parent, if their child wasn't living up to the expectations of the society, rather than forgiving them and, and loving them and, and caring for them, would seek to look down upon their children and tell them to do better. You're, you're, you're failing. You're getting it wrong. Why? For their betterment. So that they would live in to these cardinal virtues. That they would live up to them. So forgiveness was pointless because virtuous people don't need to be forgiven. And people who are not virtuous need to be better at being virtuous. So they don't need to be forgiven either. They need to be motivated through contempt. But also, from the Greek worldview, the world is pretty much fixed, and the world is impartial and indifferent to how you feel concerning how the world operates. Now, for the Greeks, they understood that the world, the universe being set in motion the way that it is, that there was a force running behind it known as the logos. But the thing about the logos is that the logos was um, detached from humanity, and did not care about if we were doing right or wrong per se. The, um, the Logos uh, uh, did not forgive, and the Logos also did not bless. It wasn't like one of the gods. And finally, the gods that were followed by the Greeks and the Romans weren't really interested in forgiveness either. You never see forgiveness in the Iliad or the Odyssey or during the Trojan War in the great writings of the poets. The poets were like the Greeks' prophets. Uh, and they looked to them for guidance from the gods. The gods were basically like big people, big humans that were uh, interested in these four things, but also were, were quick to punish. And they didn't forgive. If you sought mercy, what's called eleison, if you ever um, remember in, in Lutheran liturgy, sometimes we would sing the Kyrie eleison. Eleison means pity in Greek or can be translated as mercy. But it's not forgiveness. It's an understanding of lowering your sentence. So if Zeus was mad at you, he didn't forgive you for the wrongdoing. If he was merciful, he didn't punish you as much. And that's how the Greeks understood these things. So forgiveness was not important. Enter into the world, Christianity, and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And here we discover the logos in John 1, the word logos translates as the word. The word becomes flesh and lives among us and we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. So the Logos is not indifferent. The Logos comes and the Logos actually establishes something that changes the world and turns it upside down. After Christianity enters the scene, after 30 AD, uh, we begin to hear of three more virtues that affect us to this day. You can have these four without Christianity, and I think all of us would say, yeah, we recognize those things. Wisdom is a good thing, justice, moderation, and courage. This is a pagan value system, and pagan means pre-Christian or without Jesus, basically secular. Secular and pagan are kind of synonyms that way. Um, what do we get when, after Jesus? We get 1 Corinthians 13, 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this verse. 
It's the last verse in chapter 13. It says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. These are called traditionally, uh, from about 325 AD moving forward, the theological virtues alongside the cardinal virtues. These are added to the fundamental values list as number five, faith, hope, and charity. But the interesting thing about it is, while these four are things that you can strive for, these three are not things that you strive for, they're things that are given. And how are they given? They are given through the Logos, who is not indifferent, but comes and actually announces the forgiveness of sins upon a sinful, broken world that is not perfect and is not virtuous. So what does that mean? It means that how do you get faith? Faith comes from what is heard according to Romans 10. And what is heard is the gospel, the word of Christ. How do any of us have faith? It's because God has shown up in our midst through preachers. You have had multiple preachers in your life or you would not be here today to announce the forgiveness of all of your sins. Forgiveness is the means by which the Logos goes from being indifferent to actually engaged with you, where God breaks in upon a world of sinners. Faith announces that on account of Jesus Christ, who was born for you, who suffered for you, who died for you, who is risen for you, and who will come again for you, he announces that all of your sins are forgiven. And from the moment that the Holy Spirit came upon the church, that has been the announcement to the world that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and on his account, all of your sins are forgiven. Through faith in him, this is so. That is how you receive faith and that is how you have faith, through the announcement of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. It is the gospel in a nutshell. When we receive the Lord's Supper, it is the gospel that you are receiving, the forgiveness of your sins. And so the ancient world had no interest in this. Jesus brings it forth as an absolute necessity for the world. What do we get because of this faith? We have hope. Hope in the resurrection. None of us is resurrected. We still have this old bag of bones, this old sinner hanging around our necks. But because of Jesus Christ, we now have a future. A future that's not based on how well we do these virtues, but based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. Hope in the resurrection. That this is not the end. That my failings as a human, my sinfulness does not define me, but hope in Jesus Christ is my destiny. The resurrection. What does this then leave? As Paul says, the greatest of these is love. Another way of saying love in action is charity. So what remains since I have faith in Jesus Christ and I have a future hope that's not based on virtue in this life? I have a life that's free to live for Christ, loving God and loving my neighbor in acts of service. Charity, love in action. So, with the coming of Christianity... You had a peaceful revolution that took place because of Jesus Christ and what he taught about forgiveness that transformed Roman society. And these are the two pillars that we have. Greek philosophy, biblical values, Christianity. When Christianity started on the scene, it was the most persecuted religion in the Roman Empire for three centuries. 300 years Christians were arrested, their children were taken from them, their property was taken from them, 
They were even put to death. The stories about Christians being in the gladiator arenas and having to fight lions and being eaten by lions are absolutely true and validated. For the first 300 years, if you were a Christian, there was a social consequence, there was a public consequence. You could be turned in by your family just for following Jesus because following Jesus was anathema to Rome. Rome was very pluralistic. They were the more the merrier when it came to to religion. You worship as many gods as you want. Just don't forget to worship the Roman pantheon, which was the Greek gods, and also the emperor as a god. Well, Christians confess, just like the Jews, that they only have one god. But in the Jews' case, they had a dispensation from one of the greatest uh, emperors that was worshipped as a god, Julius Caesar, whereas Christians did not. So when Christians would say, we worship just Jesus, we can't engage in, in the worship of these other gods, Romans saw Christians as haters of humanity and were seen as a great enemy and a threat to the way things were done. They weren't virtuous. They didn't lift up the virtues. They lifted up this thing called forgiveness of sins on account of the work of some peasant from Nazareth named Jesus. We have the writings of the early church fathers for the first three centuries. These are the kids that sat at the feet of the apostles. We know them as the Antinessene fathers. And in their writings, what we don't find is a lot of calls for vengeance or revenge when Christians uh, were no longer being persecuted. Because there was hot times and cold times of persecution. But what we didn't get was calls for uh, revenge by Christians. Why is that? First century Christians did not seek revenge because Jesus said a few things. First of all, Jesus said, love your enemies. The value here is that all humans have worth. Something that was contrary to Roman and uh, Greco-Roman ways of thinking. Women, children, slaves were of less value than men and did not have worth. They were in many ways just property. Um, Christians said, love your enemies. Don't seek revenge against those who have wronged you because that's what Jesus told us to do. The second thing that Jesus says is turn the other cheek. In turning the other cheek, I'm not allowing myself to be just abused. There's accountability with me turning right back to the person who attacked me and keeping them accountable by saying, why? Why are you attacking me? And the third one was the promise that Jesus would come again. So in the early church letters, what we have is them calling Christians to patience, not discounting the injustice they were receiving. Uh, There's one letter from a church father who talked about how everyone suffers the same misfortunes of of loss of of, um, income from time to time, loss of health from time to time, and ultimately death. But the Christian suffers even more because they lose everything at at the hands of an evil, sinful world, and yet do not seek revenge because Christ has promised that he would come again. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I do not need to repay. And so because of the teachings of Jesus, Christianity brought in a new ethic. This ethic of faith, hope, and love expressed through forgiveness and mercy. And the numbers of Christians exploded like wildfire. So much so that Christianity is the greatest revolution, peaceful revolution, in the history of the world. 
Another way to think about this is that we have both pagan and Christian influence, and you may not always be able to tell what the things that you value come from the pagan heritage of the Greeks and the Romans, and which ones come from our Christian heritage and teachings of Jesus. So a thought experiment was done by Dr. C. John Somerville. He was a professor emeritus of English history at the University of Florida. Basically, he knew what it meant uh, to be English, where the English people came from. They came from the Anglo-Saxons. If you're German or if you're Scandinavian, those are our ancestors too. They looked a lot like this guy. If you've ever seen the movie Tangle, they got a bunch of these Vikings. I'm going to show you this guy's face a little bit closer. This mean guy. Okay, so here's the thought experiment for this mean guy. If there is an old lady walking down the street carrying a purse and an Anglo-Saxon, a Viking, a pre-Christian, a pagan, saw that old lady with her purse and he knew that he could steal the purse and get away before the old lady could see him or catch him, that he would get away scot-free, would the pagan, would the Anglo-Saxon steal the purse? How many think the Anglo-Saxon would indeed steal the purse if they could get away with it? How many of you think they would not steal the purse if they could get away with it? Okay. What we find is that this Anglo-Saxon would not steal the purse. But Why? Remember, the worldview of the Christian compared to the pagan. First reason, it would be beneath him. For a pagan, a warrior like a Viking, conquering and defeating women, children, or cowards was beneath their effort. Now, if they were with a whole band of, of groups going and pillaging a town, of course they would, they would take their, 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 uh, 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 th their treasure once they've, they've conquered and raised an area. But just walking down the street, a poor old lady carrying her purse, it would be beneath this warrior to stoop to that level. He's got bigger fish to fry. So one, it's beneath him. Number two, others would think less of him. His fellow warriors would think less of him. Now, for those of us who are Scandinavian, I think of this one being Norwegian and uh, a little bit of Swedish, but we don't share that that much in the family, um, is that if the first 10 commandments don't get you, the 11th will. Do you know what the 11th commandment is? What would the neighbors think? Others would think less of him. The other warriors would look down upon him because he wasn't being courageous he wasn't showing courage by uh, stealing from someone who was beneath him. Ultimately, the Anglo-Saxon would not steal the purse because the Anglo-Saxon is more worried about his own reputation than the well-being of the old lady. He's turned in on himself, staring at his own belly button, seeking his honor. In a shame-honor society, you receive honor by following the virtues of the community. These are the virtues of that community. What about the Christian? What about the Christian? Well, the Christian also would not take the woman's purse, but for completely different reasons. First of all, the Christian is concerned about the old woman. Maybe that was all the money that she had and she wouldn't be able to survive without the money that was in her purse. 
would he cause her harm? She has intrinsic value made in the image of God. Secondly, maybe that purse is all the money that she has to take care of the people in her care. Maybe children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Maybe neighbors. And thirdly, the Christian would be concerned not with their own well-being, but outwardly toward the well-being of the woman. So a pagan worldview is inward-focused, Whereas the Christian worldview, as Jesus taught, is outward focused, looking to the needs of your neighbor rather than to yourself. The shame honor values. I'm going to share with you six of them. A pagan would uplift pride as more important than humility. Being humble makes no sense to them. Being proud is what's important. Dominance over service. Conquering, being in charge, not, not lo- limiting yourself for someone, someone else's sake. Glory over modesty. What matters is that everyone is giving me praise. Not that I humble myself. Not that I'm modest or, or unno- unnoticeable. Loyalty to tribe. These next two are interesting. Loyalty to tribe versus respect for all. Looking out for your own. Next to that is being generous to your tribe rather than equality for all. Both of these together, in a generic sense, is basically the textbook understanding and definition of fascism. I'm not talking about Nazism or history. I'm just talking about fascism as a political system. That my tribe gets the best of everything over everybody else. My tribe first. Okay? And the last one is revenge is more important than forgiveness. So pride, dominance, glory, loyalty to tribe, generous to your tribe, and revenge are the highest values for the pagan. For a Christian, humility is greater than pride because that's what Jesus teaches us. Humble yourself. Service is greater than dominance. If you want to be first, you must be last. And the one who's first will be servant to all. Modesty over glory. Even when you do all that I've said and you've carried out all of the wonders of God, see yourself as nothing more than servants of the Lord. Respect for all versus loyalty to tribe. Respect means all have value because all are created in the image of God and therefore everyone deserves respect as, a, as an image bearer for the one true God. Equality for all is greater than being generous to just your tribe. Because every person has intrinsic value, everyone deserves to be treated equal in the eyes of God. And because we are all equal, we are all judged before God as being sinners. No one is better than anyone else in God's eyes. And so everyone should be treated equally among Christians and loved equally. And finally, forgiveness is the means by which God transforms the world rather than revenge. You might say, well, so what happens if Christianity stops being a driving force in the United States? We have these two pillars. Well, it would make things offset for sure. But it's not as if Christianity is going to go away and the values of Christianity would go away completely because the genie's already been let out of the lantern. 
Forgiveness was not valued. Now that we know what forgiveness is because of the way Jesus teaches it, we discover that we actually long for these things. Even if there was no God and the atheists were right, why is it that we still long for justice? If justice is just a moral construction, why do we still long uh, for evil to be overturned if evil is just a moral construction? That is a pagan worldview. Here, we discover that it's ingrained within us. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning or the end. We all long for eternity. We long for this broken world to be made right. We long for the things of Jesus to be made true for everyone. Faith, hope, and love as a way of life. Forgiveness as the means by which we interact rather than revenge. These are things that are longed by the entire human heart because we all have eternity in our uh, DNA. We long for it. The Logos, Jesus Christ, has come to bring forgiveness to all of you. We are going to receive it today in the Lord's Supper. You are forgiven in his name. You are set free to learn, to discover, and to share forgiveness with all of those around you. Amen.